All right, we've been talking about the glorious church. In particular, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, what we call the power gifts. And this is the second of the messages on the power gifts, and we'll wrap it up today with gifts of healing. But I want to start with our introductory, our foundational scripture from Romans chapter 3, verse 23 in the New King James Version. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've really been hammering this scripture, and I believe that it's important to do that from time to time so that the repetition of hearing a revelation over and over and over again, it penetrates your heart and you can apply it to your life. I remember reading this scripture years ago, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And realizing that when I read it, I emphasized the sin in that verse. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, and he said, there's more to do with the glory in that verse than there is to do with the sin. To be sure, we all sin from time to time and we miss it, but the Lord directed me to look at the glory of God. And when I did, I found out in the original language that the glory of God there, that that phrase translated as the glory of God, actually means the viewpoint or the expectation or the perspective of God. So to fall short of the glory of God is more than just missing it. It's more than just sinning from time to time. To fall short of the glory of God is to fall short of the expectation, the viewpoint, or the perspective of God, specifically of how He sees you living your life. In other words, there was a glory that was set aside for you before the world began, before time itself existed. God saw you. He knew you by name. You had a calling, and there was a glory that went with that calling. And so to fall short of the glory of God, put it succinctly, it's to fall short of becoming the man or woman that God called you to become so that you could reach the people God called you to reach and do the thing that he called you to do. Amen. So we want to rise to the glory that the Lord had for us all along. Falling short of the glory of God is also failing to see yourself the way that God sees you. God sees you as a conqueror, more than a conqueror, the word says. God sees you as doing great exploits for him. He sees you as a warrior. Sometimes we don't see ourselves that way. I'm thinking of Judges chapter 6, Gideon hiding in the wine press from the enemy, trying to eke out some bread. And the angel of the Lord came to him and said, You are a mighty man of valor. Now, how many know he did not see himself that way or he wouldn't be hiding down there in the wine press? And so sometimes there's a conflict between the way that God sees us and the way we see ourselves. And we need to adjust our perspective, our point of view, To his, we need to rise to the glory that he sees us operating in as sons and daughters of God. Amen. Now, this is true individually, but also corporately. Paul declares in Ephesians 5.27 that Jesus is coming one day for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, a holy church without blemish. Now, I think it's fair to say we have fallen far short of the glorious church that Paul envisioned. Amen? Amen. But the only way to get there is to determine that as an individual, you're going to rise to the glory that God intended for your life. And as we do that individually, collectively, we will rise and become the glorious church that Paul saw 2,000 years ago. It's high time we rose to the occasion and push back the darkness that threatens to overtake our land and overtake our world. Amen. Amen. And Isaiah chapter 60 says, 
that darkness will one day cover the earth. I think that day is here. But it also says the glory of the Lord will rise and shine on the people of God. Amen. So as the darkness increases, the light on us increases and we punch holes into the darkness and we push back the darkness in Jesus name. Romans 8, verse 18 and 19, this is the New Living Translation. We've been reading it in the King James, but there's some nuances in this passage that come out more clearly in the New Living Translation. This is Paul again. He says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Right now, I don't think the world knows who the church is. They don't see us as the sons and daughters of God that we really are. And it's up to us to project that glory so they'll see us in a new light. The church has a bad reputation. It really does. We need to change that. We need to shine the light of God's glory every day of our life. We need to walk in love, and we need to be the people of power and authority that God created us to be so the world stands back and goes, whoa, there is something different about those people. Because Isaiah said the glory would be seen on the people of God. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. I believe this is the day for the glorious church to arise so the world can see us for who we really are. We can manifest, as the King James says, which means reveal the sons and daughters of God. Now, there are four things I believe we have to do to become the glorious church. And we've been talking about them. Number one, we must walk in the authority that Jesus delegated to the church. Number two, we must walk in the power that Jesus has given to the church. Number three, we must walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that demonstrate to the world that God is real. And number four, we must walk in the love that has been so lavishly poured out upon us. Amen. None of this works without love. The power, the authority, the gifts, none of those things work without love. Faith worketh by love, the scripture says. Everything has to be centered in and based on the love of God or we're going to fail. Amen. Now, we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. If we're going to be the glorious church that God has called us to be, we have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, not apologizing for that, and we need to walk in the gifts of the Spirit that accompany that experience. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. I think that's pretty plain. To not be ignorant is to be learned, right? He wants us learned and schooled in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what the gifts are and how they operate, how then can you operate in them effectively? Well, you can't. And then verse 7 through 11 lists nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and tells us they are for the benefit of all and they're distributed by the Holy Spirit as He wills. And I make a point of this almost every time I teach on the gifts of the Spirit. You cannot manufacture a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you do, you will probably make yourself look silly and be embarrassed. Amen. I know in the early days, back in the 80s, when I was learning to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, I manufactured a thing or two. 
But I learned over the years to listen carefully to the voice of the Spirit and operate effectively in the gifts of the Spirit. Instead of trying to make something happen, I just said, Lord, I'm open and willing to be used by you in the gifts of the Spirit. And when I did that, the gifts just bubbled up from the inside. I encourage you, if you want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, spend more time talking in tongues. Spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost. Because tongues is the doorway to the other gifts of the Spirit. I found that as I increased my time praying in the Spirit, flowing in the gifts became just effortless. They just bubbled up out of me. Amen? So we've been talking about how that you can learn about the gifts of the Spirit by categorizing them according to their characteristics and function. There are nine gifts mentioned in the scriptures there in uh, verse 7 through 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we split them into three categories with three gifts each. The first is vocal or inspirational gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. They're called vocal or inspirational because they all involve speaking, inspiring, edifying the body in some way. Amen? Then revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. All of these gifts involve a revelation that is given to you by the Spirit of God that you had no other way of knowing. Hence the term revelation gifts. And then finally, the power gifts, which we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. Power gifts are gifts of healing, gifts of faith, and working of miracles. Amen? Last week, we started a discussion of the power gifts, specifically the special gift of faith and working of miracles. If you missed that, you can go to the podcast and you can listen to that episode. Amen. This week, we'll finish up the power gifts with a discussion of the gifts of healing. First of all, let me make something clear. In the Greek, it's not gifts of healing, although it's translated that way in the King James and other versions. In the Greek, it is actually gifts of of healings it's plural and plural now nobody that i know that teaches the word knows exactly why that is but i have my my thoughts on that i believe the gifts of healings are manifesting in various different ways through different men and women of god amen so that's my best explanation for why it's gifts of healings amen So the power gifts are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, in the first part of verse 10. It says, To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Amen. So let's define gifts of healings. Now, a lot of this teaching I get from Brother Kenneth E. Hagin's book on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. I highly recommend it. It's just a little mini book, but it is packed full of revelation. Brother Hagin has gone on to be with the Lord, but I'm still learning from his writings. Amen. So I wanted to give credit where credit is due. So let's define gifts of healings. And this is pretty much word for word from Brother Hagin's book. The purpose of the gifts of healings is to deliver the sick and to destroy the works of the devil in their bodies. It operates through a spirit-filled believer to bring healing to another person. Now, Jesus ministered gifts of healings throughout the Gospels, either by laying on of hands or the spoken word or both. It was an integral part of his ministry. Let's start with Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. 
Now, you can go to Matthew 9, 35, and it's almost verbatim the same phrase, the same pattern, which tells me that Jesus had a pattern. He went around teaching, preaching, and healing. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So for the most part, Jesus would give them the word first, and then he would lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Now, I would like to start with an example from the New Testament of gifts of healing. John chapter 4, verse 49 through 53. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Now, if you read the backstory on this, there was a nobleman that came to Jesus and his child was on his deathbed and he pleaded for help from the Lord Jesus. So the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend and they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Think about that. One miracle was the key to reaching the entire household for Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice something. The nobleman's son was on his deathbed. Jesus spoke the word. The fever broke, and he began to get better. Okay? Sometimes gifts of healing can be instantaneous. Other times, it's gradual. Even in the ministry of Jesus, the fever broke, and he began to get better. Amen? So, gifts of healing doesn't have to be instantaneous, although many times it is. Sometimes it's gradual, but it's still gifts of healings. Again, gifts of healings manifesting in various kinds of ways. Amen? Let's talk about the anointing. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus ministered through a special anointing that was given to him to heal the sick, to deliver those that were in bondage and set the captives free. Amen. Luke chapter four, verse 18. And many of you know this. He is quoting Isaiah chapter 61, and he is declaring this over himself in the synagogue in his hometown. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Listen to this. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, most people don't know what that means, but the acceptable year of the Lord is a jubilee term. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I've come to heal you and set you free. This is your jubilee. I am your jubilee. Amen. Everything that was lost will now be restored. Amen. That's what jubilee means. And then Acts chapter 10, verse 38. I don't have a slide for this. Peter said to the house of Cornelius, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, I want to point out a really deep theological point that you can get from that passage. Healing is a good thing. And it comes from God. Sickness is an oppression of the devil. The anointing is a special kind of concentration of the power of God. And it always accelerates and enhances the gifts of the Spirit, especially the power gifts. 
There's something you need to know about the anointing, even though it's hard to understand. The anointing is tangible and transferable. Tangible means it can be felt. It can be experienced. Transferable means that the anointing or this concentration of the power of God can be transferred from one object to another, from one person to another, and that's very, very hard to understand. All I can tell you is just truth. Amen? Just listen to the word. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 through 34. There's a couple of scriptures here that bring this out beautifully. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. She felt it. It was tangible. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that word there in the Greek is the word dunamis. It means power. He was aware that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? In other words, what do you mean? Everybody's touching you. Jesus said, No, who touched me like that? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Isn't that a wonderful story? I know everybody's heard that story. You've probably heard it preached up one side and down another. But I want you to see that she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. It was a tangible thing that she could feel, that she could experience. But I also want you to notice that not only is the anointing tangible, that it's transferable. All she did was get close enough to Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. So evidently the anointing that was on Jesus was so powerful, it leaked onto his clothing so that she didn't have to touch the body of Jesus. She just had to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, power went from him into the hem of his garment, into the body of this woman, and she was healed. Others in the Bible, like the Apostle Paul, were given a similar anointing to operate in the gifts of healing. Let's read Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. The anointing is tangible and transferable in such a manner that if somebody has the anointing of God on them, you can take cloth or other objects, attach it to the body of the person that's anointed, and that anointing transfers to that cloth, and then you take the cloth to the sick person, and they're healed. Or the demon possessed, and the devils come out. That is so cool, but so hard to understand. I don't understand it, I just believe it, amen? That's what the Bible says. So listen, the next time you see somebody talking about a prayer cloth, that's not weird, that's not strange, that's Bible. But make sure that the person that's spreading these cloths around really is anointed of God. So I'd like to wrap this up with some personal examples. And I have four examples here of gifts of healing that I'd like to share with you. And then after that, we're going to pray for the sick. Amen? And we're going to believe God. 
and people are going to be healed. Glory to God. All right. In 1986, I shared this a couple of lessons ago. I laid hands on a man whose right shoulder had been completely destroyed by bone disease. And I laid hands on him in a Bible study class at church right before main service. And God grew him a brand new shoulder blade right there in the front of 1520 witnesses. His name was Andy Edlin. Okay. It was such an astounding miracle. Listen, if you want to hear it in uh, detail, go back and listen to the podcast. But it changed my life forever. And to this day, it's the most astounding, profound miracle I've ever been personally associated with. God did a creative miracle, and he grew a body part on this person's back in front of witnesses. Well, it was so astounding that his wife, Mary, who was there and witnessed the miracle, uh, she came to me, I guess it was the Sunday, a couple Sundays after this happened, she came to me during praise and worship in the church. Now, this is in Faith Temple Assembly of God in Corpus Christi, Texas, where Trisha and I were stationed when when we were younger, and I was flying for the Marines. And she came to me in the midst of praise and worship. I had my eyes closed and had my hands in the air, and she kind of tapped me on the shoulder. She kind of slipped out of her, her chair and came up through the aisle and tapped me on the shoulder and said, would you pray for me? Now, I instantly recognized that this was Mary, Andy Edlin's wife, and she said, I have arthritis in my hands so bad, I can't even clap during praise and worship. So I just said, Lord, it's you, not me. And I turned to her and I said, give me your hands. She put up her hands and I just touched her hands and I said, be healed in Jesus name. And she was instantly healed. She went back to her row, stood next to her husband and his brand new shoulder blade. And she started clapping with the best of them. Amen. Gifts of healing. Listen, it just rose up out of me. I just knew that when I touched her, she'd be healed. I didn't know it would be instantaneous, but it was in that particular instance. That was in 1986. In 1991, I was preaching in my home church in Minden, Louisiana, and uh, we had a, a healing line after the service, and the first lady I came to, her name was Linda, and she had impacted sinuses so bad on the right side of her skull that she was scheduled for surgery to go in there and scrape them out. And so I just lifted up my hand, and as I did, it kind of felt like a spark of electricity came off my hand. Anybody out here ever uh, had a cattle prod? You get close to the cow, and it goes, Bzzz. That's exactly what it felt like. I got my hand about three inches away from her face and it went, and she collapsed on the floor. And there was a guy behind her, but he was like, well, huh? You know, he, it happened. She was just on the floor. And uh, she got up. And she ran back to the back of the church. And I found out later, she told me, said, Brother Scott, I ran back to the church. I got into the ladies' room. I put my head over the sink and all of that stuff drained out in about 20 seconds, 20, 25 seconds. She wasn't instantly healed, but she was pretty close to being instantly healed. Again, gifts of healing. Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's almost instant. Sometimes it's gradual. Glory to God. That was in 1991. And then Rodney Abrams, Trish and I were involved in prison ministry for 14 years. Rodney Abrams was a prisoner at the Fort Wade Correctional Institute in um, Keithville, Louisiana. And Rodney sat about there on third row. As I started getting into it, he didn't wait for me to finish preaching. He just got up and he started walking to me. And as he got closer, I saw that he had a, a plum-sized growth on his neck. So I, I just took my left hand. I touched that thing. I said, I curse that thing in the name of Jesus. Dry up and die in Jesus' name. And he lost his balance, fell back. Some of the brothers had to keep him from falling on the floor. Listen, prison guards don't like it when people fall out in the power. It makes them nervous. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, they just, uh, this is just not something they like. 
So the brothers, you know, they would help me out and they would keep them from falling on the linoleum floor. So we went back to uh, Shreveport and Trish had a dream that night. And in the dream, the Lord said, the next time you see Rodney Abrams, that thing will be gone. So two weeks later, we went back and we didn't even start the service. Prisoners are filing in the back door. So Rodney came up and he told me the story. Brother Scott, he said, when you spoke that word over me, I felt the power of God hit me. And he says, I watched that thing, and it was like somebody took a pin and popped it. And over the span of three days, it just withered, withered, withered until it was gone. He said, I'm thankful because they were taking me down to uh, LSU Hospital because they said it was probably cancerous, and they were setting me up to, for a biopsy and all this other kind of stuff. He says, and it's all gone, Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So again, that was a gift of healing in operation, but it wasn't instantaneous. It took three days for that thing to wither, but it did exactly what I told it to do. Wither up and die in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And then finally, uh, there was a prisoner, I can't remember his name, but he came forward and he told me that he had diabetes. Could I pray for him? He said, yeah, my blood sugar is just skyrocketing. I don't know what to do about it. And they, they got me on insulin. So I just I put my, I had like two minutes before the service was over. And in this particular facility, Keithville, if you got within five minutes of the service being over, the, the guards, they would flick the lights every minute or so to let you know your time is up. So it was to the flicking light point there. And I didn't have time to do a whole lot. He said, my blood sugar is just off the charts. And I just touched him on the chest. And I said, blood sugar, I command you to be normal in Jesus' name. Just that. He walked out. I walked back, got my wife, and we left. This man came to me the very next service, and he said, listen, here's what happened. The next day, I went to take my insulin, and I had a reaction because it was too much insulin. My blood sugar had dropped to normal levels and stayed that way for 10 months and the only reason they gave him insulin after the 10-month mark is he got the flu, and they just wanted to be on the safe side. Glory to God. Gifts of healing in operation. And listen, it, it, I'm telling you, I know it wasn't me because it was just like, you know, blood sugar be normal in Jesus' name. You know, that's all I had time to do. It was almost like an afterthought. But God knew he needed to be touched and used me because I was an available vessel. Amen. Now, Praise God. Before we close the service, let me charge you, and then we'll pray for the sick. Let's rise to the glory that is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, individually and as a church. You can do it. You can do it. We got people in this congregation that have raised people from the dead. You can do it. It's not just the pastor. The gifts of the Spirit are for the men and women, the sons and daughters of God. Amen? Be willing to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. Be willing to be used in all the power gifts, special gift of faith, working of miracles, and the gifts of healing. And when the anointing comes on you, get ready for those gifts to be taken to a much higher level. Amen? Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe.